Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Feeling great this morning, and I'm excited, excited to uh, continue us in uh, the book of Genesis. I do want to um, just really double down what Jillian said earlier that was so beautiful, and, and just to say happy Mother's Day uh, to our moms. What, what I would want our moms to know, and our, really our women to know, is that motherhood uh, is, is not an identity, really. It is a, it's a ministry that God's given you. It, it can be easy in our culture to, for it to be elevated as really the identity, but what, what happens when your, your kids leave your house <laughs> in a decade? What happens when you realize you didn't really have a lot of control in, in, in being a mom? And a lot of that is God's timing and God's plans for us. And so um, I just want to encourage you uh, to, uh, and really we as a church want to be intentional to step in and equip and encourage um, uh, and celebrate the work uh, that all of our mothers are doing uh, in our church. It's gritty, fun rejoicing hard work. Amen, moms? Amen. Okay, most of y'all must not have young children. It is gritty. Um, it's hard. And uh, uh, we do know also that this, like Jillian said, is a day that can be hard for many for lots of different reasons. And so before we jump into Genesis, I did just want to pray for uh, our moms and our church uh, that we'd be uh, intentional today. God, we do thank you um, for giving us a family, for giving us a family that really is striving to be a diverse one, one that represents your kingdom and, and represents our community in many ways. And God, in that diversity, we know that there is a, a diverse a group of experiences around this day, um, that there's pain, pain and, and hardship and struggle and grief uh, mixed with celebration and joy and anticipation, and all that can be in one room on a day like this. And, and, and for us, on this side of heaven, there's a lot of days like that that we go through. And I would just pray that no matter where we're at, we'd have eyes to see one another, but that ultimately we'd have eyes to see you, see that you are the God who sees, you are the God who comforts, you know um, the, the, the pain or the void or the loneliness that we may feel today on a day like this, and, and you know the joy and the hopes and the anticipation and um, that, that can also be true of this day. And so I just ask that uh, you would continue to circle our identity around being daughters and sons of the king, um, that that would be what primarily uh, we identify around and that um, you would also allow, help us to be faithful to the ministry you've given us. And so thank you for a chance to open your word uh, with my family here, and I just ask that you would speak so clearly to us through it um, and that uh, my voice would, would really just fall away and yours would be heard so clearly. And so we thank you for your word, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the, the lens that I want you to look at, uh, and we really always want to be looking at when we go to the Scriptures, uh, is to remind ourselves that the Scriptures, the words that you're going to see on the screen in Genesis, all Scripture, is God-breathed. That it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training, right, in righteousness. Yes. Thank you. Um, and so when we, when we think about that as our lens, that's really important um, for us to grasp because it's easy sometimes to go to the scriptures and think, what does it want me to go do? And sometimes God does give us lots of very clear instructions. But primarily, if we consider it his speech, his narrative, his voice to us, it is allowing us to get to know him better. It's not just telling us what to do. And so when we come to Genesis and we're studying Abraham and there's lots of crazy stuff. If you were here last week, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was quite an intense passage 
Um, uh, it can be easy to, to kind of get derailed because of the cultural barriers or, you know, even today's text. I don't know how many of you on Tuesday are going to walk up into a kingdom and introduce your wife as your sister. Like, that's just, that's not really <laughs> what's happening for us. Yet, this text reveals so many important things for us to understand about our God. And that's our hope. And so we want to be grounded in that. We've been at it since chapter 12. So we've spent about seven or eight weeks studying the life of Abraham. Uh, and through that time, we have learned about really three main characters. Abraham, of course, Sarah, and Lot. So Abraham is called by God in chapter 12 to follow him, to, to leave his father's household. And God says he's going to make him a great nation. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, he says that um, in chapter 15, he seals that promise with a covenant, a blood covenant, essentially saying, I'm going to be faithful to you, Abraham, and all your descendants, regardless of whether you are faithful to me. Beautiful um, in chapter 15. And we also notice that he's been traveling like crazy. He's a, he's a nomad. His people don't really have a settled land. Um, in other words, he's a foreigner everywhere he goes. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time as a foreigner, but it, it, it can be very, it's very frightening, overwhelming, intimidating to step into circumstances and, and, and exist in places where you're not really sure what the people are going to do, what, how they talk, how does this work here, um, and that's who really Abraham is up until this point. Sarah, uh, his wife, we know that she's old and beautiful. Um, we know that she is barren, that she has struggled to, to, have, uh, to have children with um, Abraham, and so um, it's, it's kind of hard for her to grasp the fact that she's going, they're going to be a great nation that comes through them. She laughs when God tells her that, if you remember that text. Um, she also uh, devises her own plan B for God since, you know, it's been years and God has not delivered the child that was promised. And so she suggests that Abraham sleep with her female servant uh, to, to, to conceive a child. Um, and God, over and over again, is going to continue to tell Sarah, no, I'm doing this through you. I'm including you in this. We also learn about Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Just make sure you're still with me. Abraham's nephew. Uh, and Abraham's nephew, Lot, um, what we see in chapter 13 is they decide to split up. They're getting a little too crowded in the camp. And so Abraham says, I'll go whichever way you don't go. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. A faith-based decision. Lot, on the other hand, makes a sight-based decision. He looks around, he sees Sodom, and he sees that the grass is green and, and it's well watered. And if you were here last week, you're like, don't do it. <laughs> but he does. He goes to Sodom. Um, and uh, he gets ransacked by kings there. He's a prisoner of war. He, uh, the culture kind of rebuilds, but in a very corrupt way. He assimilates to that in some ways. And even in the end of chapter 19, we didn't quite get to this last week, but I'm going to summarize it for you. We see that sight-based living now getting passed on to the next generation for him, his daughters. And so at the end of 19, if you want to go back and look at it um, later, uh, Lot is with his daughters in a cave. And his daughters start to look around, and they realize, Dad's old, and there's no other men here. And so how is our family going to continue to exist and go on in this scenario? And so they, they come up with their own plan B for that, uh, and they decide to get their father drunk on wine, and they sleep with him. And they give birth to sons. And the oldest, uh, her son, his name is Moab, which is how we get the Moabites, and for those of you who don't know about the Moabites, they turn out to be a really thorn in the side of God's people, um, a, a people that is really a, a kind of a constant adversary, if you will. And it's interesting as we arrive at our text to think about when, when, when mankind gets involved and decides, you know what, God, this isn't quite working, so let me, let me provide my solution. Um, 
how that creates really just more struggle for God's people. Like I was thinking about, um, I have a two-year-old son, and when you have a two-year-old son, or really just two-year-olds in general, you got to get them out of the house sometimes. Like they, they, uh, they, sometimes it's just like, all right, you out. Like, let's go do something. And so in our house, sometimes we just throw them in the car, and we go for a ride in the neighborhood. And that's really become my son's, one of his favorite activities uh, to do. And if you know anything about Walter, my son, he doesn't really ask to do anything. He just says what he's doing, really, like at 110%. He's like, Daddy, drive. Daddy, drive. Like, that means he wants to drive, not that I'm going to drive for him. And I want him to drive or maybe start to learn how to do that. He's two, so, of course, this is very hands-on um, uh, driving from the parent. And I've got the Alan Jackson song in the back of my head, When Daddy Let Me Drive. And I'm like, this is sweet. And then quickly you realize, like, he has no idea what he's doing. Like, he's two. And a lot of our 16-year-olds have no idea what they're doing behind the car, let's be honest. But um, kids, just they're not good drivers. They don't really know what – some of them you may feel like you're a great driver, but you just haven't been exposed to enough. You don't, you don't really know what, uh, what's out there and the kind of damage you can do. And uh, I think about that, and I think about, man, how do, how do we do that with God so often? God says, this is, what, this is what I want you to do, or God gives us uh, really a vision for where, what we're supposed to be and do, and oftentimes we reach over and we say, let me just take the steering wheel, God. Let me just pull this in a different direction. And a lot of times we, we just make it harder on ourselves in a lot of ways because of the kind of things we steer towards. Like I think about um, how it's so easy to steer our career only towards the option that pays us the most money without any real regard for the biblical community, the spiritual health that could be associated with that decision. I think about maybe when we steer our sexual energy towards something that just maybe better aligns with our desires, our passion, our wants. We can do a lot of damage sometimes when we decide, God, let me drive. Let me take the steering wheel. And, and we've seen that really through these characters um, in some ways make things harder for themselves because of their propensity to want to grab the wheel, and drive. And Abraham uh, is going to struggle with that in our text as well. So chapter 20, verse 1, let's look at it. Verse 1 says, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. So if you're thinking, have we heard this before? The answer is yes. <laughs> Chapter 12, uh, this is exactly what happens, but it's in a different place in a slightly different, in a different king, essentially. So in chapter 12, um, a famine strikes, uh, and Abraham moves uh, towards Egypt. Richard Brown taught that for us weeks ago. Richard really picked on uh, Abraham for making that decision, but we're Americans. We get it. We're hungry. Like, famine, no good. Like, we got to go somewhere where there's food. And so as he arrives to Egypt... Um, he is, uh, he, he, he lies to Pharaoh. He says, this is my sister, the exact same thing. Um, and so here again, uh, a, a natural disaster in a way, you could, not a famine, but God destroying Sodom, moves him around. He goes to Abimelech, this, this town of Gerar, and he says, this is my sister. What's he doing? He's lying. <laughs> He's lying. He is, he is deceiving. He's not being honest with the king. And why, why is he doing that? Our text will illuminate that. It, it says later he was afraid he would die. 
I'm not sure exactly the circumstances of what would have led him to be killed. Maybe it was just greed and his wife is beautiful and so these kings want his wife and so they would have just eliminated him if he's the husband. Maybe it's some sort of strategic alliance uh, through marriage that um, maybe just sounded more peaceful to Abraham. But what we know is that Abraham finds security in lying. He finds security in deceiving this king. That In some way, that is protecting him. Instead of lying, or he's lying instead of trusting. And when we choose sin over God, here's the truth of what's really happening. We've, we've been deceived somehow. There, there is a, a lack of truth in our heart that has taken root when we choose sin over God. I don't know if it's the lie that Satan tells you that God can't really do what he said. Maybe, maybe it's the lie that uh, God isn't really enough for you, that you need more than just him. Maybe it's the lie that uh, just having God isn't satisfying enough for you, or that uh, the lie that your circumstances, your needs, they're too much for God to handle. But when we choose sin over God, it's often because we've let a lie settle in to our hearts. Let me ask you, is there a sin that you just keep returning to? When you reflect on your life, your week, is there a sin that just keeps rearing its head, coming back to you? For Abraham here, it's lying. Maybe it's a sin that provides some sort of comfort. Maybe it's a sin that makes you feel like you just need it to stay alive. It's so important that we be willing to dig down and assess why. Why am I returning to this? Um, We've been trying to put some work into our yard lately, and uh, not really the grass side, just more of like the activities for the kids, um, survival mode, you know. And so there's lots of weeds at our house. If you show up at our house right now, like, you better wear shoes um, because there's like pokey weeds and things. And what I've learned... Um, what I've learned over the years is that picking weeds, it's honestly sometimes easier to just snap that thing off. Like, you know, just like kind of break it off at the surface. Um, it looks better instantly. It doesn't, you know, when you dig the roots out of that thing, A, that's harder, especially the type of weed you're working with. But then it creates like, it disrupts the soil, right? Like it creates kind of a hole there. But what, what, what's so true, and we all know it, right? Like if you don't get the roots out, it's just going to grow back sevenfold is what it feels like, <laughs> that those weeds are coming back maybe even stronger than they were. Maybe it was even helping the weed <laughs> to just be trimmed at the top. You got to dig in and get the roots out. My invitation to you this morning from looking at our text is what, what's at the root of your sin? Have you been trying to just clip the weeds off at the surface level, stop sinning as best as you can? Have you really examined what's at the root of your heart there? What's the lie that you might be believing, or where is the truth absent of what God has said for you? See, the truth is, Satan, he doesn't run around shooting us with real arrows, but he is shooting lies at us, and he's aiming at your heart. Because if he can dig roots there, you can spend a lot of time just clipping those weeds off, but not really doing the work to figure out what is the lie that I'm believing. For Abraham here, He's not trusting that what God has said is true. He's not fully trusting on the promises of God. You see, God's not only told him he's going to make him a great nation, he's proven it to him already. Like, he's won battles he was so outnumbered that he did not deserve to win. 
He's gained resources they didn't even ask for. He received a covenant that he was not qualified to receive. Like God has made himself, he's really proven himself to Abraham, but there's something here where Abraham is not fully believing in it because he feels the need to lie. He feels the need to hedge his bet. Just in case God doesn't come through and protect me when I walk up on this king, I'm going to lie. I'm going to choose sin. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. That's pretty intense. (laughs) I don't know what kind of dreams you've been having lately. I hope not like this. He says, you're as good as dead because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Where does this intensity coming from with God? It's coming back from chapter 12 when he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You see, Abraham's about to be sinned against. Sarah is about to be slept with. Sarah is about to be taken as, as, as a wife when really she's already married to Abraham. And the beautiful thing about it is Abraham put him in this situation by lying. But God is being faithful to what he said in chapter 15, that it's regardless of what you do, Abraham, I'm going to show up. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. Our first real takeaway from our text, in my opinion, this morning is that what does this text reveal to me about God? It's that he is good for his word, that God is good for his word. He is good to his word to Abraham, and he is good to his word to Sarah. You know, this is the second time Sarah has been offered up to a king to protect her husband. She's been put in a vulnerable position. She's probably felt uh, dispensable in this equation of how God's going to make this a great nation through them. And God is intervening, not letting uh, Abimelech touch her. God is saying over and over, I'm going to include you, Sarah, in this. You're a part of this. God is good for his word. That means when he says that he can forgive you and that he will forgive you, that means you're forgiven. That means that when he says justice will be his, that means justice is going to be his one day. That means when he says that those who have faith in Jesus have been justified, they don't need to add anything to that. It means that that's good, that that word is solid. Verse 4, now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. You kind of feel for Abimelech a little bit. He's like, they said the same thing, God. I, I had no idea. I did not realize that this is what, that she was a married woman. In verse 5, 6, God responds to her. It says this, now Abimelech had not gone, or sorry, verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Here's our takeaway, number two, around God and what this text reveals to us about him. He is working on our behalf even when we aren't aware of it. Verse 6 right there. 
He says, I've kept you from sinning against me because I knew you did it with a clear conscience. God is working on our behalf even when we aren't aware of it. In other words, without divine intervention here, Abimelech's whole family would have died. But God gets involved and he keeps him from sinning against God. There's a lot of times in life where we see God do something cool that we didn't expect, and we're like, wow, God, that's awesome. And then there's all these times we're not even aware of that he's working on our behalf and we're totally unconscious to it. Like, what a, what a mighty God we serve, that he is working for us even when we don't even realize it. Um, I work with young kids. We work in schools full-time, and, and, and many we have a lot of teachers in our school. Teachers, you're almost there. Summer break is near. You got this. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the things that's true about working with young children um, or just having young children or being around young children is you keep them alive like four times a day. Like they are constantly putting themselves in a, in a, in a place to die. <laughs> like whether it's like running in the street, you're like, nope, come right over here. Or like rules that you put in place to like prevent them from maybe shoving a pencil through their eye. Like there's just all kinds of opportunities that we are constantly saving our children from destruction. And many times they have no idea. They have no idea what, what, what was just, uh, what they were just saved from. And I think about that for us, like how are we are that we are those children in the eyes of God, that he is just working for us on our behalf, even when we don't realize it, even when we're not aware of it. It's a beautiful truth for us this morning. Verse 8, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. That's an appropriate response. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? I mean, you got to feel for the guy. He's like, why would you do this to me? Verse 11, Abraham replies, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Here's what commentators say about Abraham's excuse. (laughs) It's crap. (laughs) That was my commentary. Um... We come up with some dumb excuses to justify our sin, don't we? And I mean, Father Abraham, if you can hear me right now, I know we're coming at you. And we don't, we're not in your situation a lot where our actual life is being threatened. But the truth of what's happening here, don't miss it. In verse 11, he said, as I approached your city, I was sure there is no fear of God in this place. Meaning people here don't fear God. And so what was Abraham's response? He stopped fearing God. Did you catch that? Like because of the people that he's around in his assumption, which maybe is true, that they don't fear God, he stops fearing God. And instead he fears man, which is why he lies. And it's so true for us to let our surroundings dictate our behavior. Like God has said things to us 
that he calls us to be, that he calls us to do, that he calls us to, to revolve our life around, and yet so easily we adjust it. We adapt it to just fit the setting that we're in. You think of some examples like that friend group that uses filthy, unwholesome language, and what eventually happens, you, 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 you kind of start to tolerate, assimilate to it. You spend time with people who gossip, and instead of standing up against it, you allow it or even participate in it. Or that friend that starts making comments rooted in racism, your, your silence or even your shrug kind of condones it. For us, we have to look at this example. Abraham, he's stepping into community of people that don't fear God, and so he stops fearing God, and instead he fears man. And notice how he justifies it, verse 12. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. What, the, what is that? That is a half Truth is a half truth. I know I lied and deceived you, but really there's this little half truth that was kind of true, Abimelech. Half truths fund all sorts of sinful rebellion in our lives. Like we, need to, we need to start being on guard and looking for how are we taking a half truth and letting it just fund some of the sin that's in our life. I think about examples like we're going to get married, so it's fine that we're sleeping together now. We're engaged, so it's fine if we go ahead and move in together. The IRS doesn't really care about it, so it's not really stealing. They probably don't really care about that $2,000. But it doesn't change the fact that it's stealing or that it's not being truthful. Social media helps me connect with that one friend, so I'm going to give hours of my day to it. Like, there's all kinds of half-truths half that are so easy to kind of get into our ecosystem and settle in, and we have to really pluck those out. We've got to be willing to do the hard work to know where are we justifying sin, where have we let a half-truth in. More importantly, where are we just half-believing that what God said is true? Verse 13, just a quick comment there. Really, this is spiritual abuse by Abraham. He says to her when they left their father's household, he binds her love for him for participating in a lie. He says, everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Half-truths are dangerous, but half-believing in God is worse. And that's really what Abraham has been doing in this situation. Verse 14, then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving you, your brother, a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense uh, against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Abimelech does exactly what God says and some. He not only returns Sarah, he gives them resources, which is similar to what Pharaoh did. Um, he gives them sheep and cattle and people. He gives them land, which is actually opposite of what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh just kicked them out. But Abimelech here says, hey, here's my land. Live wherever you'd like. And he gives them wealth, a thousand shekels. This would have been a very generous offering to him. For context, 400 shekels buys a cave, 100 shekels buys land later on in the text. This would be very generous from Abimelech. I don't know about you, but it's starting to feel a little backwards to me. Like, Abraham comes to Abimelech's house, deceives him about Sarah, and then walks out much richer than he came in. That just kind of feels a little out of order. And I would say I agree. <laughs> but 
what I know to be true is I'm not God, and I don't know why He does what He does. But I also know His character, and God all the time gives us things that we don't deserve. He is constantly doing that for His people. And His commitment to His Word, here for Abraham to bless those who bless, to, to curse those who curse, it's not pending on Abraham's faithfulness, which is such a beautiful and important thing for us too. He gives us things often we don't deserve. Jesus didn't deserve to be punished for our sin through a brutal death on the cross. But God chose that so we could have a way back to him. God didn't have to account faith alone as righteousness, but he did. Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. God is good on his word. You see Abimelech not just obeying God, but really blessing Abraham. And so in return, God is going to bless Abimelech. He's going to heal them from the, uh, the sickness, the infertility that he has put on them because of uh, this offense. And here's something interesting as we close in our text this morning. God could have just healed him without Abraham coming and praying for him, right? I mean, he's God. He could have just, as soon as Sarah was returned, the household could have been healed. But he's intentional to include Abraham in this prayer for Abimelech. Abraham's not perfect. We know that to be true. But he is a man who's put his faith in. In God. And I believe God wants us to know this morning that there is not just power in prayer, there is power in praying for each other. That there is power in, in coming to the throne on behalf of our brother, on behalf of our sister. And as a church, we really desire to do that for you. We've put a prayer team in place at our services every week that are not only just praying for you behind the scenes, but they're here to pray with you um, at our church services. And so, um, what we're going to get to do is really just have a chance to respond. We're going to get a chance to, to move and, and receive prayer from our prayer team. We're going to get a chance in a second to take communion. But I just want to put a couple of questions as you process this word that God has spoken this morning. One, is there sin that you've been returning to in your life? It's a good place to start. What kind of sin have, has been in your life that you've been returning to? Do you need prayer there? Is there a lie that you've been blind to maybe that you need someone to pray truth over you, that you maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody? Have you been trying to just grit it out through your circumstances and you finally need to really just surrender and ask God for help to sit here this morning and talk to him, to, to go to, with a brother and sister and let them pray that over you? Have you been half believing in God and need to ask for help to fully put your faith in him? Band, you can start making your way up. We get a chance this morning to have some space to do that, to respond. I personally think, not only does this text cue it up, but just in general, that the most stressed out people in our church should be our prayer team leaders because they can't find enough people to meet the needs of the church with one prayer. There should be a line, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, to meet with their brothers and sisters in Christ to get and receive prayer. Prayer is so important for us, and it is a it is a intimate and significant way um, that we go before the Father and make asks 
And these are good things that he wants us to ask for. And so one of those good things, too, that he's just given us that we didn't deserve is this meal right here, communion, which we're going to have a chance to take. Communion reminds us through the cracker that Jesus had a body, and he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. And he allowed himself to be broken for you and I. That's something we didn't deserve, but God richly, generously gave to us. That he had blood represented by the juice that you'll drink. That that blood was poured out for us. That it established a new covenant for us with God. It was the fulfilling of of an old, original covenant, and it was the beginning of a new one. And so for us uh, as a church, I want to invite you, if you're, maybe you don't have to be a member at our church, but if you've put your faith in that gospel and that good news, if you've put your faith in Christ to come and take and remember God's goodness to you and the fact that he has richly and generously blessed us through what he has done, even when we weren't aware of it. Let's pray. God, we, we, uh, we thank you for your word, and I pray that it's your words that were heard this morning and that they fall on rich soil ready to respond to your spirit's call. God, I pray just for the people in this room that need to get up today and go and get prayer, that have been fighting it alone in their head, battling anxiety to try to muscle through, God. We pray that you would just really break their spirit in a beautiful way, that they would cry out to you for help, that they would allow us as a family to to pray with them and to cry out for healing and help where it's needed. God, we thank you for communion, and it's what it reminds us of, and I pray that as it hits our taste buds today, we would just taste a, a small reminder and version of the goodness of what you've done for us. Lord, as we sing, would we sing as a people who fully believe that your word is good, who have fully put our faith in what you've said to be true. God, help us to not half believe. Help us to not hedge our bet on something else to get us through this life, but may we place our full weight on you. God, we thank you for all the ways you are working on our behalf, that we don't even realize it. And we thank you for the ways you're working that we do see. And we just praise you this morning as a good God. And I pray that would be reflected in the way that we respond to what you said this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.